0: Feminist Law Podcast. I'm your co-host, Courtney Jones, a recent law graduate and incoming postgraduate student in law.
1: And I'm your co-host, Clara Topehul, a recent law graduate and incoming trainee solicitor. We're both co-founders of the Feminist Law Project and passionate about the intersections of law and feminism.
0: Today on the podcast, we're continuing our interview with Dr. Sarah Aylwood. If this theory that you've sort of generated was implemented within the Australian legal system, how do you envisage that the victim-survivor-centred approach that you're recommending would work in practice
2: okay so this is research that we've started and we're looking to pursue in the near future to try to develop a best practice model for victim survivor centered listening Um, so i can outline i guess a few aspects of what this what we think this model should look like so first the first relates to the process by which Um, women can share their voices with a particular organisation. It could be a law reform commission. I think this eventually that we should be extending this to parliamentary lawmaking processes as well. So this requires at the very least a trauma-informed approach to listening, um, including speaking with survivors individually in very small groups with support people present and it would involve deep and empathic listening in that interaction between the survivor and whoever is the representative of the law reform agency this needs what how this is set up needs to be needs to be giving agency to the victim survivor it needs to be done in the way that is going to make it the most the most possible for them to to be supported in giving that testimony So in some situations, that might require the presence not only of a support person, but the availability of a trained trauma counsellor at the discretion of the victim survivor. Law reform personnel would need to undergo pretty extensive training in how to do this kind of listening. Um, And ideally, senior members of the law reform agency would be meeting with and listening to uh, women to demonstrate leadership in this space and to indicate the seriousness with which the agency is actually taking treating that testimony. So some of the examples that we have looked at have been that most of the time the law commissioners are just not present. they're not they're not in the room when those discussions are taking place. Um, we think that they really need to be leading from the top in this area. And we also believe that this form of listening really requires, Agencies to meet the logistic needs of victim survivors as well. And that, inc- that includes things like payment for transport, meals, childcare costs. You need They should be actually be giving that kind of support to enable the victim survivor to give their testimony as well. So then let's focus more again on listening. So transformative listening, we think, requires would require an ongoing engagement with victim survivors before and after they show their voice if that is what they want. So like you said before, it's a case of coming in, tell us what you think, and then we, have, we never talk to you again. We have nothing to do with you again. That's the end of the relationship. Um, we think that that is, not, is an unethical way of approaching this um, and that this approach would demand an individual engagement to keep them informed of what is happening, to give them more opportunities if they want to, to revisit what they've said um and for that kind of follow up and that's part of the responsiveness element and again that needs to be within the control of the, of the individual person like they may or may not want that but that should certainly be available so that they can feel like they have some kind of ownership and ongoing role in that process and we also think like well the model we'll be developing will be looking at how um particularly how transformative listening particularly the elements of openness, attentiveness and receptivity that really requires the law reform agency to be transparent and accountable about how it makes decisions and recommendations. Now, I can't really speak for how this works in other jurisdictions and how law commissions work in the UK, for example. But in Australia, there's a wide variety of approaches that are taken by law reform agencies in how they publicise the submissions that they get how they cite the submissions that they get in their reports and the different sources they use in their reports. Sometimes they will will publish submissions. Obviously, that would need to be with the consent of the person writing it. Sometimes they publish them. So, for example, the Human Rights Commission, when it did the Respect at Work report, actually published about 58 submissions that it received from individuals And um, as part of that process. There were a lot that it didn't publish as well um, at the discretion of the person writing it and the fact that they published all of that and they cited them extensively in their report actually means you can look at that report and say well we can see how and where they listened other law reform agencies do not publish even a list of who was who contributed to that process and they don't cite in their report how it contributed to that process so the the whole process how they made their decisions how they made their recommendations how they weigh the pros and cons on particular legal questions and issues is completely opaque and this is a problem because law reform agencies can be highly influential and they can have a real really strong influence over lawmaking processes over policy development and we're basically in an in, in a circumstance where they have very little accountability as to how they actually reach their decisions and formulate their recommendations so listening actually requires demonstrating listening requires them to be more open and accountable and transparent about how they do that and so I don't I don't really think it's possible to be an effective listener and to demonstrate that you're listening unless you're prepared to be accountable to your stakeholders including victim survivors and finally transformative listening um requires that the listener act on what they've heard and this I guess this is one of the most important part so sometimes that will require law reform agencies to make bolder and more disruptive recommendations in the interests of protecting women and children from violence and this will require the prioritization of gender equality sometimes above other competing interests this will at the very least it will requ- require law reform agencies to regard women victim survivors as experts, not only experts in their own experience, but experts in what that experience tells them about how the law should be changed, how their experience could have been different in different if different legal and policy frameworks were in place. Because what we often see is we see law reform agencies Ostensibly, listen to victim survivors to understand the nature of the problem. Right. So, yeah, we can. We want. We want to hear you because we want you to tell us about why this is a problem. Yeah, but we're not interested in what you have to say about how you could fix this problem. We're going to talk to the law society, or we're going to talk to law council. We're going to talk to academics. We're going to talk to barristers. We're going to talk about other people about how the law should be changed. We're not actually interested in what you think about what law reform should look like in this space. Um, That there is a real tension there um, between like, yes, we're happy to call you in and we're happy for you to tell us about the problem. And we're now gonna tell you about how we're gonna fix it rather than actually listening to how victim survivors think that the law should be changed because they do know how the law should be changed. They are experts in that experience and I feel like at the moment, a lot of law reform commissions are not actually treating victim survivors like they are experts in that area. So, and really, I mean, there, that really is a form of epistemic violence that law reform agencies should really not be inflicting on people they invite in to share their stories with them. Um, and there will be times when victim survivors are asking for something that law reform agencies can't do. Right? That they can't recommend. And in that circumstance, a responsive transformative listener doesn't just ignore them or put them to the side and say, well, no, that's just not how our legal system works. It explains and engages with them, it explains why that can't happen. It actually addresses that in the report and it tries to seek solutions or at least provide some options for how that problem might be addressed outside of the process. So there's no doubt that taking A victim-centered, victim survivor-centered approach to listening is would be hugely resource intensive. And that's that's but we know that that is apparent. And it involves building and maintaining relationships over time rather than at the moment, we essentially have a highly transactional model in the way that testimony is dealt with so this would require a, a, a really different mind, mindset around how you're actually engaging with with the, with people over a period of time so yes like i said it is going it would be very resource intensive i know that agencies who are doing this kind of work are often financially stretched but we do believe this would actually make have a really significant impact
0: thank you for sharing that so we've talked about like what the theory is and how it came about and how you think it could work in practice. So how can we ensure, or I guess, how can people in Australia ensure, cause I'm not Australian, uh, but how can people in Australia ensure that women's voices are listened to more fervently in the Australian legal system going forward?
2: There is a lot of work to be done to convince legal institutions and personnel within those institutions and legal actors to start to pay attention to how they listen. So I think raising awareness about the importance of listening is a key starting point. And our project is currently focused specifically on law reform, and I'm really happy to say that we have already received some interest from the Australian Human Rights Commission in the work that we are doing to bring awareness to their own processes of listening in the context of the implementation of the Respect at Work recommendations. And I hope that continuing our work in this area, and particularly what one thing we are going to start doing is when the opportunity comes up, we're actually going to start making submissions to law reform institutions and parliamentary processes that are not just about the substantive issue that that particular inquiry is addressing, but we're actually going to start making submissions that speak specifically to the process and to the importance of listening within that process in the hope that we can start to draw that that attention and bring that awareness to this issue um, so that we can hopefully create a a, a more ethically sound listening approach a safer environment, particularly for victim survivors, um, and that will lead to better outcomes overall. And we do see this as being potentially quite transformative in the decision making processes of several agencies, as well as um, Parliament in relation to the actual sort of development of legislation and the implementation of recommendations.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Um, And again, this, again, leads very nicely to my next question. So, you you know, you mentioned that you think it could be transformative. So what impact do you predict could occur if this theory was implemented? And how instrumental would listening to women's voices be regarding, I mean, and there's perhaps an obvious answer here, which is very impactful, (laughs) but how instrumental do you think that listening to women's voices could be regarding, you know, violence against women and girls, especially considering you mentioned that, you know, they're experts in, in in this kind of experience.
2: Yeah, so uh, I I believe implementing this this approach will dramatically improve the actual experience of women being involved in these processes. It would at the very least mean they were less re-traumatizing, which they they often can be. so we would, we would hope that would be one outcome. And the, and we would hope that the fact that they that if, they, if, it, if it turned out they were less re-traumatising, that they would then become more accessible and that more women would feel able to share their stories and collect like having more voices, having more stories about this is going to improve, you would hope, the law reform process. We also, um, and because of that, we believe it will produce better law reform recommendations um, in the well, law reform recommendations that are more attuned to actually trying to address the problem, and that have at their core, when you're looking at violence against women, actually placing gender equality as one of the drivers and goals of that piece of law reform, which it, it's difficult to find that sometimes in the way these processes work. So we think this would happen if this approach was taken. There'd be a, a greater willingness among victim survivors to contribute their voices. People would be more willing to speak if they think they're going to be taken seriously. Um, and with the nature of the support in place, we believe that the complexity of these issues will come to the fore. So we know we know from um, Christy Dotson's research into listening that failure to listen and failure to be an engaged listener can lead to testimonial quieting, testimonial smothering, which is where the speaker essentially truncates or modifies her testimony because she either doesn't believe that she's been recognised as the expert or because she doesn't believe that the listener is actually competent to hear what she has to say, right? So by developing competence in listening, you will increase the quality of the speech that you will hear, and so we think it will have a bit of benefits in that way as well. And we 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 would hope that be, improving this process would then also improve the decision making process around recommendations within the agency. Um, just being more accountable and transparent about decision making may go some way to leading to better outcomes. But we think they will be further improved still through, through that recognition of victim survivors as not only experts in their own experiences of violence but experts in how the law should be changed to prevent and improve it.
0: Yeah it almost it almost seems um, obvious doesn't it like listen to women and we'll make things better for women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the theory that you've introduced in this paper seems to fit into a change in approach to to law and law reform rather than an actual change in law itself. So how instrumental do you perceive societal changes in changing the narrative surrounding violence against women and girls?
2: Yeah, they are really fundamental. um, looking at, so- at social and cultural changes. Absolutely. And, and we're, what we're working on here is about, obviously it's about listening in and in, in law reform contexts rather than like you said, a particular area of law. And our focus in developing this has been on violence against women, but we would, Really, this this approach could be applied to any sort of issues around that concern gender equality. And that relationship between law reform and social and cultural change is one of the sort of perennial tensions within law reform because, you know, many would argue that law reform is really just trying to change and alter an inherently broken system that will never be able to achieve gender equality. And I do have some, I have some sympathy for that argument. Um, there are always challenges with implementation right and there are particularly in terms of criminal law in which the goals of the law reform are not achieved because of entrenched cultural and social structures that essentially inhibit change and often because the implementation just isn't supported with enough training and support and also there is also the problem of unintended consequences and those can end up causing more harm than the law reform is designed to prevent so, yeah, I'm fully aware of limits of law reform. But at the moment, this seems to be the kind of go-to as to, oh, we've got a problem with violence against women in this area or that area. We needed to have an inquiry. We need Parliament to look at this. We need to put this to the law, another law reform agency. And There have been so many of these in Australia in the last few years that I feel like trying to at least make that process better, I'm hoping, may bring about some... Social and cultural change, but yeah, it's it's you know it's being championed as a kind of panacea to address violence against women. But obviously, we need we need it to work as effectively as possible. But we need it to be, you know, looking well beyond it to other social and cultural drivers for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's almost a bit of a feedback loop, isn't it? So social and cultural change kind of feeds into law reform, which then feeds into social and cultural change, and it sort of progresses over time.
2: Yeah, that will yes, that's what we would hope would happen. I mean, you can you can look to some law reforms and think this, this has been successful, right? Or it's been, you know, there are examples of that. So and others that haven't been. And you just have to, I mean, we're just trying to trying to work to make the process better to um, yeah, try to prove its success its success rate.
0: Absolutely. Um, so Thanks so much for coming on. If our listeners wanted to find out more about your research and the narrative surrounding law reform on violence against women in Australia, perhaps more broadly, where can they do this?
2: Uh, if you were like to look at my into my research, you could if you just Google Sarah Aylward, um, you'll it'll come up with my my University of Wollongong site, or you can go to sarahailward.com, which is my website.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me today. Thanks very much for
2: having me, Courtney. It was a great opportunity.
1: In today's Feminist News Roundup, rallies have been organised worldwide to highlight the UN and UN Women's silence on the rape of Israeli women and girls in the wake of the terrorist attacks perpetrated by Hamas on October 7th, 2023. Calls are being made to defund UN Women, an organisation which stands for the empowerment of all women and girls. In Russia, Putin is urging women to have quote eight or more end quote, children in light of increasing fatalities due to the war between Russia and Ukraine. On Tuesday, Putin stated in a video that boosting Russian population will be quote our goal for the coming decades, end quote. Also in today's news roundup, a Romanian yoga guru was arrested for attempting to have sex with female followers. This is unfortunately not the first case of yoga gurus attempting to abuse their followers and pretending that this is part of yoga practice. Finally, several women in Canada have come forward as survivors of sexual assault at the hands of actor Nathan Chasing Horse. This comes as the actor was charged in the US earlier this year for similar offences, some of them dating back to 2009. The actor is now facing 18 charges, including 10 counts of sexual assault with a minor under 16, six counts of sexual assault, and one of
0: kidnapping a minor. If you have any suggestions for this podcast, let us know directly via email at contact@feministlaw.org. Please also visit our
1: website at feministlaw.org and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn to keep up to date with our latest
0: articles, podcasts, newsletters, and exciting news. The music for this podcast was sourced from pixabay.com. Thanks for listening.